Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to worship this morning at First Church. We've got a very busy week coming up here at church. Um, roses on the altar this morning are in honor of two couples celebrating wedding anniversaries, Jerry and Judy Holscher, uh, 50 years on March 4th. They're in the back there, I see, with their family. And Dennis and Joan Hinchin celebrating 53 years on March 5th. Congratulations to them. Uh, the file arrangement also on the altar this morning is from Jerry and Judy Holzer's children, who will join them in worship this morning to celebrate the anniversary, and they will have a receiving line following today's service up here in front by the altar for those who would like to stop and congratulate them. Please keep the families of Casper Holscher and Jean Preter in your thoughts and prayers. The arrangements for Casper are listed in our worship bulletin. The Preter family will receive visitors on Monday in the Heritage Room from 4 to 7 and 9.30 to 10.30 Tuesday morning. And the service to celebrate Jean's life will be Tuesday here in the sanctuary at 11. Wonderful Wednesday start this week. Uh, in your bulletin is an insert that keep you you can keep at home that has the menu and the schedule for all of the Lenten season. Uh, Dinner is open to everyone in the community, and we hope that you all invite your friends and neighbors to join you on Wednesday nights. It's going to be a fun time. Today, immediately following church, there will be a wonderful Wednesday meeting for all volunteers in the social room. And youth, the Otis Spunkmeyer cookie dough is arriving tomorrow. So please make arrangements to pick up your cookie dough as soon as possible after school. And with all that being said, I would invite everyone to stand as we do the call to worship. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. We Let's continue to stand as we sing hymn number 342 in the blue hymnal, Just As I Am.
Now, as we ask the children to come forward for a children's chat with Miss Nikki, everyone take a chance to greet your neighbors. Thank you, Miss Tori. <sighs> Good morning, everybody. Oh, Josie, your dress is beautiful. Olivia, your dress is beautiful, too. What do you think of my dress? What? What's wrong? What's wrong? You can't see me? I'm sitting in the chair. You, you can't see me? Oh, then, then it's working. Well, I decided to be invisible today. Ouch. I'm right there. Ow. Oh, yeah. Yep, I'm still there. Yeah, I'm invisible today. You know, I, I can see. Ow. Why are you hitting me? Ow. Ow. Yeah. Hi, Miss Opperman. Yes, I'm here. I said. Oh, 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 she's tickling me. Ah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, oh. You're tickling me. Oh, well, hi. Oh, thank you. Well, I I have a reason for being invisible today. Do you know why? Well, I'm invisible because today we're going to talk about faith. Faith is when you believe something you can't always see. Now, do you believe I exist? Even though you can't see me, do I exist? No. Well, you know, I better take off my costume then. I better take off my costume then. Can you see me now? Can you see my dress? I was. I was hiding. I was being invisible today. Because you know what? Faith is believing something you can't always see. Now, you can't always see me, but could you hear me? Yes. Now, even if you can hear me but you can't see me, do I still exist? Yes. Am I still a person? Yes. Do I still like you? Yes, I do. Well, God's the same way. I was. But God's the same way. He's, sometimes we can't see him. Sometimes we can't hear him. Sometimes we can feel him. But he's always there. And he always loves us. So even if God's being invisible, he's still there. And he still loves you. So just like I pretended to be invisible, sometimes God might do that too. But he still loves you very much. And sometimes you can see him. Sometimes you can hear him. Sometimes you can feel him, and that makes the faith all the more important. Okay? So I think you'll find, with a little faith, sometimes the invisible things become visible. Would you pray with me? Yes, you're exactly right. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for these little ones. Would, yes, you are. Would you please be a little less invisible for us? Would you plant faith the size of a mustard seed in every one of their lives and grow it to be the strongest, greatest tree there is? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, thanks, Nikki, for a wonderful lesson about faith there. Appreciate it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we we come to you this morning um, and lift up uh, these concerns to you, Lord, that are listed for us in the bulletin, these names that uh, of people and families, Lord, who are hurting and who are in need of you. We pray that you would be with them and, and comfort them and provide them exactly what they need at this time. Uh, We pray, Lord, um, knowing that you are a God who is able to meet our needs, um, and you have already done so in Christ Jesus, and we are thankful and grateful for that. Lord, we also specifically uh, think of the families of Casper Holscher and Jean Preter at this time as they they mourn uh, the loss of a loved one, but we also celebrate the the hope we have in you um, of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we pray your spirit would be with those families, comfort them at this time, and bring them peace and hope in the midst of their grief. Uh, we also, Lord, remember those who are serving this, this country in, the, in uniform. Uh, we, we particularly think of, of the battle that's going on in Mosul and pray that you would 
Lord, um, ultimately, we know that you will bring an end to warfare, an end to conflict, an end to fighting and to death. Um, In the meantime, Lord, we pray that you would be the Prince of Peace in that area. Bring, Lord, we do pray, ultimately, that you'd bring peace. Uh, We pray that fighting would cease and that ultimately your will will be done. We pray for comfort for those soldiers who are fighting, and we pray, Lord, uh, especially also for comfort for their families who are here, um, who may not know what is exactly going on at any given time. We pray, Lord, uh, for your presence to be with them and to be with us as well. We thank you for the gift of your spirit through your son and that, uh, that as we go through this life, whatever we face, whatever trials may come, we can put our trust firmly in you because you are with us. That Though, as Nikki just shared, we may not be able to see you or sense you, we know from your word that you never leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you for that sure hope and confidence in you. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. With those helping with the offering, please come forward at this time as the choir sings, Lord, here am I.
If you would remain standing for our reading this morning, it comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. Here Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of the day. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the older son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. The word of our Lord. Now, if you would get out your blue hymnal, we will sing number 42. You may be seated. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you once again for the opportunity to to come before you and uh, share this word uh, with your church. I pray that you would uh, bless this time, bless our our um, bless this time, Lord, uh, and and be with me. Give me words to speak and open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. In Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, today is the first Sunday of Lent, uh, which which marks the 40 days uh, leading up to our celebration of Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. And uh, with the beginning of Lent, we're going to start a new sermon series. We just finished preaching through our mission statement. And so uh, that was a, a great series. I I'm, I'm, was thrilled to, to be able to do that. And today we're going to begin looking at uh, some parables of Jesus. Uh, over the next five Sundays, we're going to look at five of the parables that Jesus shared uh, right at the end of his earthly ministry. These are five parables that he shared during what we call Holy Week, uh, that time between Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And uh, so these five parables come from those final days of Jesus's life here on earth. And all five parables that we'll look at deal with how we respond to the gospel and the reality of Jesus in our lives. Jesus told a lot of parables during his ministry. Uh, he, it was one of his, uh, I guess, favorite forms of teaching, if you want to call it that. And parables are, are stories. They're, they're earthly stories of the spiritual reality. They're stories that, that people can relate to, everyday experiences that people can easily understand. Uh, but they point to a deeper truth and deeper meaning. And so as we look at these parables over the next few weeks, uh, they're going to focus on that idea of how we respond to Jesus and how we respond to the good news of the gospel. Uh, for those of you who are, have been around here for a little bit, uh, you know I like to have our, uh, some booklets for the sermon series, and so hopefully you were able to, to pick one of those out as you came in uh, to the sanctuary today. Uh, those are just some helpful, uh, helpful uh, booklets there. They have the scripture readings for each week, and uh, something new this time around, there's a couple questions for each week as well for some further reflection and further thought uh, that goes maybe beyond what we uh, are talking about here today. So um, if, you're, if you're one who likes to take notes, that's a helpful thing. If you're one who, 
who maybe likes to dig a little deeper into the sermon after we leave here today, those questions can help you to do that. So I encourage you to, to pick one of those up today if you didn't get a chance to uh, on your way in. And so as we, as we begin our celebration of Lent today, well, uh, technically Lent began on Ash Wednesday, but today being the first Sunday of Lent, uh, we're going to celebrate Lent by, um, by looking at these parables. And one of the things that we do in Lent is, is we re- reflect on our sinfulness and our mortality. If you were with us on Ash Wednesday, we talked about that. Uh, we t- that's, that's one of the major themes of Lent and one of the reasons why some people fast or give things up to recognize uh, their sinfulness and their need, um, their need for a Savior. Because that's the second half of it. We often maybe focus on that first half, our need for, our, our, excuse me, our sin and our mortality, uh, but, but that should then ultimately point us to our need for a Savior. And so that's kind of the, the two sides of the coin that is Lent. Uh, we, we recognize our sin and our mortality, but that we also need a Savior who has conquered sin and death. And so God has sent us a Savior through his Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's, of course, what we put our hope in and put our faith in, what we celebrate ultimately on Easter Sunday, the resurrection, the, the ultimate victory over sin and death through our Savior, Jesus Christ. But the question before us today in this parable and over the coming weeks is how are we going to respond to that as a church, but also in our own lives? How will we respond to what God has already done for us? And so as we look at these parables, it's important to to think about the setting and, and the context that they're in. As as we look at any scripture passage, that's a very helpful thing to do. Uh, this passage uh, that we have in Matthew 21, it immediately follows this Interesting exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. See, there's this guy named John the Baptist, who, who is actually Jesus' cousin, um, who, who had this ministry that took place, uh, in a sense, before Jesus' ministry began. John would, would preach things like repentance and turning away from your sins and, and forgiveness in the Lord. And, and the religious leaders of the day... Uh, they had some problems with that, which we won't really get into today. But, but there was a conflict there between the religious establishment and then John the Baptist, this person who was, who was preaching in the wilderness. And many, many people responded to John's message. And so that kind of caused some of that friction there between John and the religious leaders. And so there's this exchange between Jesus and these same religious leaders. They asked Jesus where he gets his authority from. In other words, what right does Jesus have to start preaching the things that he's been preaching about the kingdom of God and, and being the Messiah? But Jesus turns the tables on them. Instead of addressing their question directly, he, he asks them, what authority did John the Baptist have to teach? Right? Where did his authority come from? Was it earthly or was it heavenly? Was it of his own accord or did God send him on this mission? And we see this, the, this, the thought process that these religious leaders are going through. They, they, they say if... If John's authority was from heaven, then Jesus will, of course, say, well, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you trust him? If they say that John's authority was earthly authority, that he was just doing this of his own accord, then, then they'd have a riot on their hands because so many people trusted and believed in John's message. And so they were conflicted on what to do. And so instead of uh, choosing one side or the other, they just say, I don't know. You know, well, we don't know what to, we don't know how to respond. And so Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you either. Instead, what he does is he begins to share a few parables. And these are the parables that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And Jesus, in, in doing this, in the, in the way that Jesus presented these parables, he's connecting his own ministry with the ministry and message of John the Baptist. Uh, you see the... Um, if we look at the end of the parable, verse 32, we see that uh, Jesus directly connects how they respond, not with his own message necessarily, but we'll see they're connected, but with the message of John the Baptist. And verse 32 says, For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after this, after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. See, the parable of the two sons deals with these same teachers and how they respond and their failure to respond to John's message. And so that begs the question, what's John's message? Right? What is this message? What is this, this ministry that they've failed to respond to? And how does that connect with Jesus and what he's doing? 
think it's an important question for us to ask in order to really get at the bottom of what this parable is teaching us. See, John the Baptist, his ministry is described in all four Gospels. He's not just some random figure out there that Jesus is referencing. We can, we can look at what he did and what he taught in order to, to see what this message was. And so earlier this week I did that. We, you can look at, they all occur in the first few chapters of the four Gospels. But there's three main themes that come out of John's message uh, that we can pick up on. The first one is that he called the people to repent from their sins and to be forgiven. Talked about how John baptized for the forgiveness of sins and he would call people to repent and turn away from, from their sin. So that was the main message that John was, was preaching. Second was that, uh, that those who repent, those who find their forgiveness in the Lord should then reproduce fruit that reflects genuine repentance. He actually gets in a little spat with the religious leaders who come in to check out what he's doing and he says, he says, Repent, right? He tells them to produce fruit in line with or in accordance with your repentance. That's how people can tell whether your faith is true and genuine, is, is if, you're, if you have fruit in your life, if, you, if your life reflects the genuine repentance you claim to have. And then third, we see that forgiveness is possible through the coming Messiah. One day Jesus comes to where John the Baptist is baptizing people in the river, and, and John points to him and says, look, the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, John's ministry was not about himself. That happens a lot today, doesn't it? People's ministry, you get, it's all about them and it's all about what they're doing. And, and sometimes it seems like Jesus takes a, a back seat to what this pastor or preacher is all about. But John was not that way. John always pointed to Jesus, pointed to the coming Messiah, and said that this forgiveness that he's preaching about, this this uh, repentance, this baptism is not about him, but it's about God and, and this chosen one who would come. One day the religious leaders even asked John who he was. Is he, is he the Messiah? And John plainly responded, no, I'm not. I'm not the one that you're looking for. I'm, I'm, I'm the one who's preparing a way for the Lord. And in John 3, uh, verse 30, we see this. This phrase, and I think it's such a such an important one for us in our own lives as well. But John says this: He talking about Jesus. He must increase, and I must decrease. See, John had this message. He was he wasn't in it for himself, but he was constantly pointing people to the Lord. He was constantly trying to get people to see and prepare the way for what Jesus was about to do. And so, in that sense, with those three themes in mind, the idea of repenting from your sins in order to be forgiven to produce fruit that reflects genuine repentance, and that forgiveness is possible only through the coming Messiah, that message is consistent with Jesus' teaching and the rest of the New Testament. See, John wasn't doing anything different or anything radical. He was simply preparing the way for Jesus and his ministry. He was preparing the way for others like Peter and Paul who would preach the same themes. And it's consistent with the message of Lent as well. I mentioned how Lent forces us to reflect on our sinfulness and our mortality. The reality is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Right? That affects each and every one of us. If we're honest with ourselves, if we truly take a, take a deep look at our lives, we'll see that we all are sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all said and done and thought things that were not in line with God's will. And so therefore we need a Savior. But the message of Lent and the message of John the Baptist and Jesus in the New Testament is that not only are we sinners in need of a Savior, but God has already provided a Savior for us in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. And therefore, we should turn away from our sin and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord. So that's the message of John the Baptist. That's the message of, of the Gospel. That's the message of the Bible as a whole from beginning to end is that we're sinners in need of a Savior but that God has already provided that Savior through Christ our Lord. We don't need to earn our way back into God's favor. We don't need to, to um, save ourselves, right? That's impossible. But God has already provided that Savior that we so desperately need in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's the message that, that Jesus is, is connecting this parable to, this, the message of forgiveness and repentance, the message of, of producing fruit in line with our righteousness, and that, that hope, that forgiveness is found ultimately in Christ. And so as we look at this parable from Matthew, 
uh, 21, verses 28 through 32. Um, that's the, the message that's underlying our conversation here. And so we go back to the parable. The father uh, in this parable, it's pretty simple. He has two sons, who he, and he asked both of them to work in the vineyard. It's actually a very, it's a very short parable, just a couple verses, but it reminds us of a much longer parable uh, that we're probably much more familiar with in Luke chapter 15, which is the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, right he had there in that situation there was a father who had two sons right one was disobedient uh, the other the other stayed home with the father and continued to work um, but yet we see in the in the story of the prodigal son that both of those sons were in need of forgiveness were in need of of coming back to the father and we see a similar situation here the father asked both of his sons to to go and to work in the vineyard and the vineyard uh, is a metaphor that runs from the Old Testament through the New Testament uh, for the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, uh, Israel was often compared to a vineyard. And in the New Testament, uh, that, that metaphor continues even more intimately with, with Christ and his followers. We see in John's gospel, uh, Jesus describes, uh, says that I am the vine and you are the branches, right? This metaphor for a vineyard, right? And, and talking about our relationship with the Lord. Um, that, that metaphor is found throughout the Bible and it continues here in this parable. Um, I'm actually going to discuss that a little bit more in depth next week, uh, so I'm not going to get into it today, but, but next week's parable deals more uh, directly with that vineyard metaphor as well. But know that the, the vineyard represents the kingdom of God. The vineyard represents uh, God's people, the church. And so the first son that he asks uh, first initially says, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go work in the vineyard. I'm not going to go be a part of that. But then eventually he, he responds with obedience. He says initially no, but then he goes and works in the vineyard after all. And Jesus says that first son represents sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those who are disobedient to the Lord um, at first, who do not respond to the Father's command, but later go and work in the vineyard. This first son represent, represents those who do not know Christ but are, and are initially separated from him, but eventually repent and turn back to the Lord. I remember when I was younger, when I was in youth group, I was always jealous of those people that had those really dramatic testimonies. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The people that were, you know, so lost, they hit rock bottom, they were mixed up in drugs and all sorts of stuff, and they, they had this Damascus Road experience, right, where they finally saw the Lord, and all of a sudden everything just changed, and everything was right. You know, that's kind of the story here of the, the first son, right? They were, they were disobedient. They chose not to follow the Lord. They weren't listening to the Father's command to go and to be a part of the vineyard, to go work in the vineyard. But eventually they turned their lives around and went and did as the, as the Father, as the Lord commanded them to do. I said I was always jealous of those because I thought that was the way it should be, right? You should have this dramatic conversion story of, of the Lord just shining a light in your life and just suddenly becoming and following Him. Of course, I, as I grew older, as I grew more mature in my faith, I realized that that's not the ideal, right? The ideal is not to live a life in sin and then dramatically turn it around. The ideal is to know the Lord from, from the beginning, right? And to follow Him and be obedient to Him. But we often glamorize those sorts of testimonies and often lift those up above others. Uh, so, we, so in one sense, that first son represents those who don't know Christ, right, who are living in sin and then turn and repent to be with the Lord like the sinners and the tax collectors who often did during Jesus' ministry. But I believe it also represents those who are in Christ but who ignore God's calling on their lives for a period of time. You know, just when God, when God calls someone, it's not just a salvation. That's obviously a big first step in the process. But God also, when God calls us, it's to a lifelong process of spiritual maturity. He calls each one of us to ministry and, and calls us to do certain things, right, for him. Uh, but sometimes we, we take that first step. We put our trust in the Lord, but then we kind of leave it at that. Right? We don't follow him any further the way that he desires us to go. I think of, and this reminds me in a sense of God's own call in my life. Uh, I didn't initially grow up in the church, uh, but by the time I was about in middle school, sixth grade, I, I, I began to attend church with my parents, and, and, and through the ministry of that church and the youth group, I came to know the Lord. And, and as I grew in that and, and, 
And in high school, I was a very active part of the youth group and, and a leader there. I actually, you know, got a chance to teach some lessons as part of that, that leadership responsibility. It was a really, really cool time. And I, I remember people saying to me, my youth pastor, other leaders in the church, you know, talking to me and saying, man, like, have you ever thought about being a pastor? You ever thought about, you know, serving the Lord in that way? You seem to have like a gift for that. You seem to love the Lord and want to serve him in that way. And I look at him, I say, nope, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to be a pastor. Right? I don't want to do that. I have my life all figured out and planned out. Right. I don't want to do that. I'll, I'll do that in my spare time. Well, here I am. <laughs> and I ignored that call for a while. You know, I went to college. I was going to be a, a teacher. Uh, and, and for the first couple of years I was there, I was, you know, studying to be a teacher and, uh, and eventually Lord, I finally, I finally quit ignoring the call, I guess you can say, uh, that, that idea of being a pastor, the idea of, of serving God in this particular way just kept coming back up in my life. And eventually I got to the point where I finally said, all right, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm just, I'm going to do it. Um, and so it took me a while to, to respond to that call, much like that first son in a, in a sense, right? God, God had placed that call in my life when I was back in high school, but yet I, I, it took me several years to really acknowledge it and really decide to follow it. And so, so God may be calling you to do something similar. I'm not saying every one of you is called to be a pastor or anything like that, but God calls each one of us to ministry. He calls each one of us to, to serve him in one way or another. And are you living that out or are you ignoring the call? Are you responding to what God desires for you to do in your life, or are you just putting him on the back burner like I was for a while? So the first son initially is disobedient, but then responds with obedience. The second son, who represents the religious leaders who claim to be following God and claim to be obedient to the law, but were unwilling to respond to the good news of the gospel. They said they would go, but they did not. Uh, this represents people who claim to know God, claim to follow him, but have not truly responded to God's invitation to the gospel. People who just go through the motions or give God lip service. Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we all probably fall into that category from time to time, right? But, but you know, there's some of us who just go through our entire lives just going through the motions. Who just go to church every Sunday, you know, pay your tithe, whatever, right? Who just go through the motions. They say they're following God. They say they're living it out, but not truly responding with the obedience that God desires. It's a problem that Israel had, with, that God's people had uh, throughout their entire history. Isaiah 29:13 is one example, but the prophets over and over again uh, went to the people with the same plea. It says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, God is not interested in just people going through the motions. Right? God's not interested in people just doing what they're supposed to do, but, but not really giving themselves completely to it. Does that make sense? So we can go through the motions. We can do what we're supposed to do, but not really be trusting God through that. God desires our hearts. He desires our whole lives. And so if we're, just, if we're just going through the motions, we're missing that part of it. It's a problem that plagued Israel throughout its history and continues to haunt us today. And that same verse from Isaiah 29:13 is actually referenced by Jesus himself and Paul later um, in one of his letters as well. It's a problem that continues to haunt us today. I think of Josephine. Um, it's amazing how much you learn about God from being a parent. You know, anybody else relate to that? Think of Josephine, and, and um, she's in that nice stage of, uh, I think it's lovingly called the terrible twos, uh, where I will, Allie or I will ask Josephine to do something, and one of her favorite responses right now, there's two of them, two forms of the same thing. She either says, in a minute, or I'm coming, but guess what? She's really not, Right? And I'm sure other parents can relate to that as well. You know, she's in the middle of something. She doesn't want to quit playing in her playroom. She doesn't want to quit reading her book or whatever. So maybe she just simply doesn't want to do what we're asking her to do. And so she responds by saying, in a minute, I'm coming. But has no intention whatsoever to actually follow through with it. Right? How often do we do that with the Lord? You know, God calls us to do something. He's calling us to put our trust in him. He's calling us to serve him. 
And yet we just say, in a minute, God's calling us to serve him in some way. And we say, I'm coming, Lord. But we don't actually follow through. We don't actually have any real intention to do it. Luke 9, uh, 57 through 62, tells the story of Jesus calling disciples who are unwilling to follow him. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. See, each one of those people was called by Jesus to follow him, but yet they each had their own excuse to put it off. They each had their own excuse and a reason to not follow God's call in their life. What's yours? Right? What's, what's our excuse that we, that we give God? We often say that we're too busy, right? We don't have time to do what God wants us to do. We're busy with our work, our family, our jobs. We don't have time to, to give to the Lord. We often blame distractions, right? Whatever it is in your life, but, but we all have distractions that keep our mind off of Christ, right? Keep our focus off of Him. Sometimes it's worry. Sometimes it's, it's uh, simple distractions like, like um, media and culture. You know, just anything that keeps our focus and our mind off of Christ. And sometimes our excuse is that we simply don't see a need for Jesus in our lives. We got everything figured out. We got it all, got it all hammered out. So what point do we need? What, what point is there in following Jesus? Right? I'm not really so bad. I'm better than that other guy, right? And so we don't see the need to follow Jesus for ourselves. We're unable to see our own sin and therefore don't understand our need for a Savior. This parable then teaches us what true obedience, what true repentance looks like. In other words, how do we respond to the call in our lives that God has given us? Genuine repentance is more than just saying sorry and continuing on unchanged. Right? Josephine is able to do that. Right? She can say sorry and not really mean it. And we do the same thing too. How often do we go to God and say, I'm so sorry for this sin. I'm so sorry for doing this or that or the other thing or not doing something we know God has called us to do and yet then we just continue to go back and do the same thing over and over again. Right? Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So repentance, obedience, is not just simply giving God lip service, but it should be heartfelt, genuine repentance that leads to obedience. Repentance is not primarily something you say. It's the reorientation of your life. Remember John the Baptist's message, what Jesus was referencing in this parable? right? Repent, turn away from your sins, and be forgiven, and produce fruit that is aligned with that repentance. We should turn away from our sin. We should turn toward Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then following that, we should see faithful obedience in response to this new orientation. See, when we repent, when we turn away from our sins, we've got to turn toward something. Right? We've got to turn, we're turning away from one thing, but if we don't turn towards something else, we're just going to end up being lost again. We're not going to truly find our way. We need to turn away from our sin and turn towards Christ. And when we do that, we should see that fruit that, that John was talking about begin to happen in our life. But the order is important. I said we need to turn away from our sin, turn towards Christ, and then we'll see faithful obedience in response to this new orientation. It's possible to seemingly do step three without steps one and two. But that's not really true obedience or repentance. That's just legalism. Right? It's possible to, to go through the motions, to do all the stuff you're supposed to do, but not truly turn away from your sins and turn towards Christ. That's what we call legalism, just simply following a set of rules for the sake of the rules. Instead, we need to turn away from our sin, turn towards Christ to make our obedience authentic. 
Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, not everyone who, this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, we did, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? But I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, it's about knowing Christ. It's about having that relationship with him. When the father asked the sons to work in the vineyard, it's, it's not about earning their place as sons. They were already sons, right? But it was about responding to what God has done for us in our lives. And if we try to just go through the motions and try to just earn our own salvation, earn our own way, it's not going to happen. We need to respond by turning away from our sin, turning towards Christ, and then in response to that, live faithfully. James chapter 2 talks about the connection between faith and deeds. John, or excuse me, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith and has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. You see, you need both of those, faith and deeds. It's not enough to just say you're sorry and then continue on in a life of sin. And you shouldn't just be going through the motions without truly repenting. You need to have both of those together. Our faith, excuse me, our deeds, our actions, the fruit in our lives should be in response to our faith in Christ, in response to the love that he has demonstrated to us uh, on the cross. We need both of those things, not, not one or the other, but both. And our, and our deeds, our actions are in response to what he's done for us. That's why I said the order is important. We need to first turn away from our sins, embrace Christ, and then, and then we'll begin to see that fruit in our lives. Neither one of these sons is perfect in this parable. Right? We, ought, we want to be like more like that younger son or the first son who initially maybe didn't obey the Lord but came and, and ended up working in the vineyard. But if we're honest, neither one of us is perfect. The first son was disobedient at first and obedient later. The second son was pretending to be obedient, but not truly obedient. So neither one of them is perfect. But God did send his son, Jesus Christ, into the vineyard. There is a son who was obedient from beginning to end, from first to last, and that is our Lord. He came to do the Father's will, which was to redeem us from our sin. He was obedient even to the point of death on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. And he was raised to life, proving to us that he conquered sin and death so that we no longer have to be defined by those things. See, those two sons, in one form or another, were disobedient. But there was one son, one true son, who was obedient from beginning to end, who came to this earth to do the Father's will so that we could be claimed Uh, so that we could have his righteousness. He is obedient even when we were disobedient. And he was righteous even though we are unrighteous. And so he he has fulfilled that for us. And he simply asked us to respond. How are we going to respond to that good news? That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. So in closing, I want to just ask, which son are you? Are you like the first son who's initially disobedient? Maybe today, what you need to do in response to this today is simply respond positively to the gospel. Respond to what God has done for us in our lives. And what God may be calling you to do 
in response to the love that he's shown us. Embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and begin serving him today. It's never too late to turn back to him. Simple way I like to think about it is simply just saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for, for falling short of your expectation. Falling short of what, uh, what we were called to be in the first place. Thank you for sending your son who was obedient from first to last. Thank you that he died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. And third, help, help me to now live in response to that. Help me to live out that calling. Live out that love that you've shown me in my life. And some of you maybe are like the second son, simply just going through the motions, saying that you have responded, but not truly responding as we're called to do. So I encourage you, especially with Lent, at being at the beginning of Lent, I encourage you to take this time of the church here as we prepare our hearts for Easter. Evaluate your relationship with the Lord. Where are you? Do you how do you need to respond in order to be obedient, to go into the vineyard as he's asking us to do. Find a way to set aside our busyness and our distractions. We need to take time each day. I'd encourage you, take time each day this during this season, a few minutes if that's all you have to spare, and spend time with the Lord. Ask him to help you to respond in a way that honors him. Ask him to, to evaluate, you know, ask him to, to speak to you in a way that helps you to see where you are with that. You know, you could you can be in prayer. You could be uh, starting a Bible plan, a Bible reading plan. There's some great resources. Our daily bread. We have free copies of it here at the church. Uh, the Bible app is a free app on your phone you could download that has reading plans, even for Lent, that you could start and begin. Great resources are available if you don't know where to start. But spend some time with the Lord this season and ask Him, how can I respond? positively to your call in my life? How can I embrace Jesus Christ as Lord? How can I serve you in this way? Ask God to soften your heart and to give you to the ability to respond to him with faithful obedience. Remember, it's, it's in response to what God has done for us. We don't initiate it. We don't earn our way into God's family. He has provided that for us. We simply respond with faithful obedience to what he's already done. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, Thank you that you have made the way for us. Thank you that at times in our life, even though we're disobedient, even though we, we don't always respond to your call, you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect son, the perfect obedient one, who is obedient even to the point of, of dying on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Lord, help us during this Lenten season to, to see how, how we have fallen short of your glory. Help us to see the ways that we've been disobedient in our own lives and respond, Lord, to your gracious invitation, your gracious call to turn away from our sins, to embrace your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord, and to respond to that love and faithful obedience to you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing in closing number 349, Trust and Obey.
the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant bought you back from the brought you back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.